Hear now the word of the Lord. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was also so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and in it, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. Happy Father's Day. And... Um, When I think about my father, I don't think about those things. Uh, I think about fear. No, um, I uh, love, I have a lot of love for my father. Uh, One of the things that I do, uh, that um, when I'm supposed to think of my father is accents. That's weird, right? Accents. A lot of people have told me I have terrible accents, but I try anyway. Now you know why. It's because it reminds me of my dad. some help. If you really want to try to have an accent, um, you can look on YouTube, and that helps. I've, I've also found that there's some words similar in the way we pronounce certain things that you can help with your accent. For instance, I learned from a brother that if you want to say um, bacon in a Jamaican accent, just say beer can really quickly together, and it sounds a little Jamaican, like bacon. Okay, but... <laughs> 
or if you wanted to say, uh, let's say in an Australian accent, um, if you wanted to say razor blades, just say rise, like rise, and then up, like up, and lights, and say that really quickly. Yeah, everybody's trying. So. <laughs> no, no, it's for real, it's for real though. If you say rise, up, lights, it sounds like you're saying razor blades in an Australian accent. Rise of lights, right. <laughs> now you can never unhear that. It's like, g'day, rise of lights. <laughs> it's like, what? It's only, that's the only thing I know when I, when I see an Australian. Um, my father had, uh, interestingly enough, and I thought about why, and I shared this before, and a pastor friend of mine, she couldn't believe it until she came to my father's church, and then when she heard him pray in English, uh, she couldn't take it seriously, she told me, because all she can hear was that accent. But when I was growing up, my father had a collection of movies as well, and he loved 007. He loved James Bond, and he loved it. He had all the whole collection. As a kid, I remember if I didn't put on Sound of Music or Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid, I would put on 007. Wait, I didn't say that first part. I only put on 007. 007, yeah, anyway. And I'd be like, straight sure, can watch that, and that kind of thing. And I'd try to copy it. And then all the bad guys in the 80s were Russian people. And so either you had an accent that was British or Russian. And guess what my father developed? It was weird, right? And so he had this weird Russian accent. It's like, Dad, when you speak in English, I can swear you, you sound like the bad guy in 007. It's like, if you were going to imitate somebody, wouldn't you want to be James Bond? But, you know, he'd be like, Heavenly Father. Not vodka, but, you know, he would say, and he would, he would talk in this, like, Russian accent. I, I thought that was so interesting that of all the accents he could have picked up, he sounds more Russian than anything else. But as, as a son, as a child, and Father's Day, I think we need to really look and see what our fathers have given us because more than you know it, our fathers have impacted us in such a deep and profound way. His presence, his absence, his discipline or his lack of discipline, or his um, speaking into our life or lack thereof, any kind of influence or a influence is still influence. Any kind of influence our father had has prof profoundly, deeply impacted us. And I would say it has a lot to do with who we are. And I was thinking about um, just uh, this, this past week, and it was just, I thought it was tragedy after tragedy after tragedy happening, especially in the city of Orlando, and I was thinking, what's going on in Orlando? And just praying for the people and the victims and the families there, and people have come and contacted me, and I see how people are responding but I think our priority has always, is always with the people that are mourning, the people that have lost loved ones. Our priority is that we are there with them. We sympathize with them. Our prayers are lifted up for them on their behalf. Um, and, you know, what, what kind of ties us all together isn't our beliefs. It really isn't. 
It isn't that we look the same or we act the same or we believe in the same thing. What ties us all together is that we're human. And that humanity, when we have a loss or when we're grieving, I believe because we are human, we can empathize and that we can sympathize in a deep and profound way. Whether, whether the other person may believe me or not, but when I go to a grieving person, I believe that we can empathize and sympathize with that person because we are human. And I wanted to just um, take some time to, perhaps as a church, together we can pray for the victims and the victims' families. I remember uh, just looking at the, the accounts of testimonies of people talking and sharing, and this one testimony really got to me about how this person was so scared. They were praying to God, and they remembered, like, you know, the prayers that they prayed as a kid because they have nothing else to hold on to. There was nothing else to hold on to. So they were holding on to God and asking God to save them. And I just only imagine, the, of the 49 people that died, how many called out to God. And I honestly believe, in the bottom of my heart, just as the robber and the thief who was crucified next to Jesus, if you call out Jesus' name, he is faithful and he saves this is the God that we believe in, the God that saves not because we are worthy, but God saves because he is worthy, because he is good. And that's the God that we believe. This is, this is why, you know, our hearts break and our prayers go out because there is something so much more important um, than all these other things that we kind of try to divide ourselves with. And that's where we're tied together in humanity. And that's why we pray. And then we ask God to um, just comfort those who are mourning, to be with them, uh, to speak uh, words of life and strength into their, into their hearts and to, to give them consolation where the world can't console. The world can't console. If you're a father and you lost a child, the world can't console that. I, can, I can't give you another kid and that, that replaces your child. It doesn't work that way. And we realize that the only consolation that we can possibly ever hope to have is in God, and more specifically, is in Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again and said, if you believe in me, you will also have eternal life. You will dwell with me in paradise. You will be filled. You will be complete. This is the only hope that we have as humans and so let's just take a moment of silence to pray and to lift up uh, the victims, the victims' families of Orlando, uh, especially in, this, in light of this horrific uh, shooting tragedy. Um, and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, just as you were with us in our darkest of times, Lord, there are people and there are families going through the darkest of times right now, that they are suffering, they are weeping, wailing, and mourning. And God, we ask now for your mercy. We ask now for your grace. 
We ask now for your comfort to be with these families. Nothing that can happen can alleviate this pain that we can do. But Lord God, we know that you can. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you asking that you would be with them. And if there is anything that we can do, Father, to help, to be your hands and feet, to change something, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would give us boldness. I pray that you would give us courage and discernment so that we can change the things we need to change. But Lord God, more importantly, we ask that you would be their comfort, their console. Father, I pray that you would be their Emmanuel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to continue on with uh, Genesis today. And in Genesis, um, we talked about the first three verses. And if you didn't, we do, if you didn't hear it, we have a podcast and a SoundCloud, both available for you to listen to. Um, and before I start, uh, Pastor Yang, um, this is just a public service announcement. Pastor Yang said he left a radio here. Uh, he's looking for a radio. I don't know. I haven't seen it, so you see the... And some people thought that, you know, this was actually Pastor Yang's radio. There was a joke. And they're like, oh, you're a pastor. You're such a liar. It's like, that's a joke. It's a joke. It's not, it, it wasn't his radio, but uh, it was a radio, $10 on Amazon. So if anybody felt bad for the radio, please don't. You could pay me $10, but that's about all, you, really, that's all there is. When people look at uh, Genesis People ask questions, and I think this is good. It's good to ask questions, but what kind of questions we ask is also important. And a lot of people ask the question, how? How was the world made? Let's look at Genesis 1. You know, I, can't, I, I don't trust it. I don't believe in it. Isn't there evolution? Isn't there all these other things in play? How can the world be 4,000, 5,000 years old? It doesn't make any sense, so I reject it. And... I think how is important, how is important, but there are other questions that are also important, and I think Genesis 1 does address all, it does address all these questions, how, but it also addresses what, it addresses why, and so I think of it like this, if you had a gift, and someone gave you a gift, you're very thankful for the gift, you're like, thank you, and you're always wondering, what's in this gift? And so what do you do? You open the gift, you take out the tissue paper or wrapping, and then you take out this beautiful, beautiful gift. And, I, and then you, can, you might be like, I have no idea what this is. What is this? And you can look at it. But the first question, if you didn't know what this was, the, by the way, here's the other top view in case you didn't. But if you didn't know what this was, the first question that you would ask, would it be how? Would it be how? And I find it very intriguing that in our postmodern era, the way we want to read the Bible is we want to insert our own way of critical analysis and thinking and say the first question we must always ask is how. And I think that is untrue. But because we are a postmodernistic society, we should address the how. But maybe the answers are not in a manner in which we expect it to be. Maybe the answer isn't what we really really are expecting, to be honest. So if I got this, there are other questions that I need to ask. Not just how does this work or how was this made. This is a good question. But wouldn't you want to know, why would you give this to me? 
Why did you give this to me? Does it, is it because you want me to eat more toast? I, I don't know. Why did you give this to me? Or you can ask, what is this first, even before asking why? What is this and what does it do? And Genesis 1 doesn't go into a detailed, very specific, like, you know, cell by cell evolution or anything of that matter, but it does give us some hints and it does give us some answers. And I'll first answer the question how in the way Genesis 1 describes it and then what and then why. One thing that we see from Genesis 1 is that creation is not chance. It's not chance. Creation didn't just happen out of chance. In fact, someone, something, some force was behind creation. And even now, in the, you know, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, when science was really getting into uh, the origins of universe, going into, you know, finding out what, what like, light and speed of light and time what it was relative to our reality. And as science and math was trying to figure it out, they had this. They had this for thousands and thousands of years. And one thing that it shows us is that creation is not chance. And even now, we're starting to realize, because there was a gap when we thought, when people thought, hey, because of this science, we actually don't need God. In fact, some of us actually still hold on to this very old thinking, old meaning decades old. But now we see that even if we were to have the Big Bang happen, we need principles underlying before the Big Bang. Physics had to have been there. Light, the speed of light, uh, the gravitational force, all these things, these principles had to have been there for the Big Bang to even happen. It didn't happen as the Big Bang was happening, but it was already, this underlying force was there. And even before we can even, like, teach it, exclaim it, or have it in our scientific vocabulary, Genesis 1 says it. There was a force before anything, and that force was God. If we don't think that creation isn't purposeful and it has a meaning, and you think, honestly, you know what? I just want to say creation is chance. Our responses become different in life. Our response especially, and I'm going to take the extreme here, our response to personal trauma becomes one of two things in the extreme sense. And one, one extreme is nothing really matters. If everything's chance, if everything's coincidence, then nothing essentially matters because everything was chance. It was chance that I happened here. I can do basically anything I want. And there's that song that really conveys the heart of this feeling. Nothing really matters. Any way the wind blows. And this fatalistic thinking is truly, truly depressing. And that actually is a very, very sad song. The other side is if everything's chance and everything happens because of all these chemical reactions, then we need to start making a purposeful, ultimate morality that we discover to be the truth And then we start having this unhealthy obsession. Unhealthy obsession with what? With politics. Unhealthy obsession with who becomes our next president. Because whoever becomes the next president is make or break for this country, isn't it? Because that's all there is. Ultimately, it's everything. Because if this person becomes president, then the world is doomed. 
We have an unhealthy obsession with our version of social justice. You better think that this is right and this is the moralistic way or you're stupid or I'm going to shame you, especially on our social media. If someone even remotely, vaguely, very carefully, maybe steps over the line a tiny bit, who's there to pounce on that person? Everybody. Everybody. Because social justice or their version of social justice is their ultimate ideal. But as Christians, we reject both views. As Christians, we reject both views because we believe that both the fatalistic thinking and also, which I think is a form of fatalism, this unhealthy obsession with either politics or social justice or whatever we put on as God because we don't believe that God created, so we need to make our own God, whatever that may be. Both of these views are wrong, and both of these views are dangerous. We live in a society now that if I don't adapt, adopt, if I don't subscribe to your version of truth and I don't see it the way you do, then we have a response given to us. And what's that response? That response is either you're phobic or you're a hater. You hate. It's because you hate me, you can't agree with me. It's because you're afraid of me, you can't agree with me. And these two concepts have now been given to our young people, and this is what's being taught, that if you don't agree with these values, these views, then you're phobic or you're full of hate. You are a bigot. You are discriminatory. And which could be true. Which could be true. I'm not saying it's not true. It could be true. But there's no other option. There's no other option if I disagree. And I could disagree perhaps because I'm afraid. Perhaps because I have hate in my heart. But I could also disagree because I believe that that option is not key to flourishing perhaps. If that option isn't helpful to humanity. And then the discussion start. It, it ensues. There's, that's why there's a debate. But a lot of times we cut off the debate if we say you're either phobic or you're full of hate. We reject both views because now we see that in this social media context, and I don't know who doesn't use social media nowadays. It's either you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, there's even uh, Snapchat used to be something that was instant, but now there's stories that last for 24 hours or for 24 hours they can even tell the news so even like cnn has snapchat and things like that and so you see that this kind of social media if we want people to subscribe to our version of morality what's what what is it that we do we shame and we actually reverse hate we reverse hate and we are definitely afraid and i see i see it happen you can be of either political party, and I've seen videos of hatred in every single political campaign where people hurt members of the other party. I've seen things in social media just spewing out hatred toward people who don't hold their views. And it has gotten to an extreme, in my opinion, because of this medium, of this outlet. It wasn't like that because we didn't have this tool. This tool has just magnified it. But it was always there, you know? 
people didn't like people of the other party. People always thought if, you know, uh, someone got elected, then it would be the end of the world. They thought that from, from the very beginning. It's like, you have to be president. Otherwise, the United States is going down. And people always thought that. They, thought, they put on so much weight on who becomes the president. And I remember I was walking into uh, a shopping a grocery store. And as I was walking in, I saw a couple walking out. And they were older. And this man was just screaming at his wife. She's like, how can you think that? You're so stupid. I'm like, whoa. He's passionate and borderline abusive. But I was just like, whoa. It's like, how can you think that? And he was so mad. He's like, how can you be a Democrat? I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so even within a married couple, you can have different political views and just be so passionate, so angry maybe. But you see, the reason why we reject both views, these both these extremes is because something's out of the picture and that's mercy and grace mercy and grace are out of the picture when you adopt these very unhealthy obsessions and you think this is the absolute way to think about it in fact what christians do honestly is even if we disagree we know that we need to support them the best way we can so how do we do that how do we do that without compromising what god has told us but still hold on to the ultimate command he's given us to love the other person. And I see in Orlando uh, an organization who was known and who was blamed for being phobic or full of hate, and Chick-fil-A would get all, all these sandwiches and try to do their due diligence of loving by giving out you know, water or food or whoever might need it uh, to the victims and to the people that were helping and so all these things are happening, and I see like what we really need to try to do is try to understand each other. And that is also coming from our own perspective. We're so staunch in our beliefs that we refuse to see the other person as a person. You know, you could believe that a child is wrong. You can say this person or this baby is in error, but it's almost... Ridiculous if I said, I can't believe that you can think that you can jump over this step when you obviously can't. You, my two-year-old friend, are an idiot. I mean, that, that's just weird. Why would I say that? Why would I respond in that manner? But it seems to me that this is our ultimate gut reaction to respond with anybody who wouldn't agree with us. And I would say that is not a good response. In fact, our response should be, how can I listen to you? How can I pray for you? And our response is that of humility. Don't you see that we're all in need of a Savior? We all need Jesus. I'm no better than you, but we all need Jesus. Can we see that? And you see that because it's not chance, because God didn't just, um, I mean, there's other views, but God didn't just, let it happen or didn't happen without him god was actually very active in creating then there is purpose then there is meaning and we see that god began first by creating from nothing this is different from all other beliefs this is different from other philosophies ideologies because if we see mythology god 
perhaps one of the gods at least created this earth out of a mistake because they were angry with another god because of war. Some, some, something happened here because of um, something that happened in the skies or in the heavenlies. And this was a byproduct of that. What happens then, even if you hold those views or if you have that somehow ingrained in your thinking ideology, then you still hold to those views that, you know, we don't matter as much. This is, we're just the afterthought. We're a byproduct of what happened. But actually, the Bible teaches us that God purposefully, um, intently, willfully created us from nothing. He had a plan for us. And then you see here in the word what, you know, what it, is, what it is that he actually created. You know, last week I talked about certain verbs that are attributed to God, and I'm just going to nerd out just like maybe for 30 seconds. I promise you it won't be long. But I said the direct translation for hover or for move, which is the second verb used to attribute to God, is vibrate or to oscillate. And then people were like, vibrate, oscillate, what does that even mean? So we translated what? Move and hover. And now because of string theory, we're like, I, I'm just blown away because of string theory, we see the basis of all matter and all the things that exist is because of these tiny microscope, like subatomic um, things like strings when they oscillate. And depending on how they oscillate creates matter. And it, it, they call it string theory is because it depends on how it vibrates, just like music. So I feel like, I feel like the creator had this guitar. And as he strums, he creates music. And that music is his creation. And I'm just like, wow, you know, science, we wouldn't have known that like 10 years ago. And now we see like, whoa, this Bible had it from the very beginning. That's, to me, to me, that's crazy. To me, that's insane. Uh, no more nerd out. But, um, I mean, I, this is very basic. I'm, I didn't even do any kind of physics or math here. But it just shows me the general principle. And in Psalm 66, 4, it says this, All the earth worships you, sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And we see the what here. When creation is formed and it gets together, you see it praising its maker. That's why as much as I want to exclude any kind of supernatural option to creation, when I look at the tree, just a single tree, and I see the leaves sway, I see the branches sway, I see the color, it's so deep and green, and I see how it moves within nature, I can't help but to be in awe. That awe comes from something. And then the Bible is saying all of creation is put together to worship God. And what does God say when he creates something? What did God say? He said, it's good. See, it's different from that fatalistic thinking where everything is just either chance or bad or evil even. And God says, it's good. That's why we take care of creation. That's why we don't abuse it. But we see that we are stewards of God's creation and we do our best to upkeep, you know, to the best of our ability. And that's why it's good that we can enjoy things. Creation is there so that we can also enjoy. And that pleases God. And I don't know when this thinking came in, but 
all of a sudden, everybody is expected to be a monk or somehow um, try to push down these desires to enjoy. And so this is what we expect of not just our spiritual leaders, but anybody who is somewhat spiritual, is someone who just denies, 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 but we don't get it. The purpose of creation is also so that we can enjoy I mean, keep on reading. He says, you will subdue, you will enjoy, you will, you know, take care, you will do these things because God says it's good. And what what do we see when that happens? We see that creation is showing us that goodness has come down to us. It's, It's backwards if we say we live for creation. That's backwards. But we see that creation is given to us so that we can enjoy it, but it's given to us. Why? Why is it given to us? Because I also believe that it teaches things. It teaches us that before there was chaos, and when God came, there's order. Before is chaos, and when God comes, there's order. It also teaches us wisdom. And it says in the Bible, through wisdom he created. And you see here, and this is something that my father taught me when I was younger, and I'll never forget it. And I'll never read Genesis 1 the same way. Because I, like perhaps many of you, when I read Genesis 1, I wanted to take it exactly, literally, and nothing else. Nothing else. I said, day must be 24 hours. Absolutely. Until I learned Hebrew, and then day could be a period or 24 hours. It could be anything, really. And so... And then there's room for interpretation there. But whether you believe that creation was created in 24 hours or in a period of time, this is the more important aspect. And this is what my dad taught me. He said, look at it. Every time there was a day, and we read it, Kenny read it here, the first day, the second day, the third day, all the way to the sixth day, there's something that comes before And that was, there was evening, and then there was morning, the first day. There was evening, and then there was morning, the second day. And you got to wonder why, even in the very beginning, when people are being taught, this is who God is, this is why he created, why is he teaching us in this manner? Because don't we as humans naturally think and believe and act that what's the beginning of the day? Is the beginning of the day the evening or the morning? Is it night or the actual sunlight day? I think the beginning of the day happens when my alarm rings and the sun is out and I need to start my day. That's when I think the beginning of the day is. But here in Genesis 1, six times, over and over again, God is saying, The first day, the second day. But what's first? It's the evening. The evening comes before the day. The night comes before the dawn. And this is what he is teaching us. He teaches us that what we have to face also before we hit daylight is night. Night is upon us and then the day comes. Before joy, there may be suffering. Before the dance, there may be mourning. Before gladness, there may be sadness. And this is teaching us this wisdom. And I feel like 
a lot of us can read this even for myself and be like, why? That's a little unfair, isn't it, God? Why is it this way? Why can't it just be day and evening like I like? And I realize the more and more I learn about discipline, the more and more I learn about how things work and the way the, this world functions, I see that you have to have certain kinds of night so that the day can come about. It's, a, it's true physically. Um, if you like working out, we have uh, people that work out, say to themselves, pain and then gain, or no pain, no gain, that kind of saying. That pain is night. You need that pain to have that gain. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so people without that mental, mental just, um, I guess, just to brace themselves mentally before they want that gain, they need to really push out. They don't get that gain. But it's the same way emotionally. It's the same way spiritually. This is something that the world is functioning around currently. And God is showing us that the night comes before the day. But he is showing us even more. Because when you say there's evening and morning, he just doesn't end it there. Because he teaches us about himself. Every time God created, he spoke. And last week we talked about it, but his word is a force. It's a power. It's an agent. His word creates things. I can't create anything with my words. I can be like, turn on toaster, and nothing happens. I can be like, make toast for me now. Nothing happens. But with God, it actually happens. Yes, I can't create things with my words, but God can, and he has created with his words. Yes, there is suffering, but with his words, he is telling us that morning will come. And for you, that's a promise that he's giving you in the Bible. That even though there's evening now, morning is coming. And he is going to bring that about and say, this is day for you. Who sees this come to pass? God does. God sees this come to pass. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 to 31, says of wisdom i was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep its command when he marked out the foundations of the earth then i was constantly at his side i was filled with delight day after day rejoicing always in his presence rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind wisdom was there and Jesus comes into this world and Jesus said as the crowd increased says the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom now something greater than Solomon is here Jesus claims that he has a wisdom surpassing Solomon greater than Solomon you see when Jesus was talking also about tragedy, you know, what can we honestly do? Honestly, when I see this, we can only shame, we can only blame. It's because these people won't um, put these laws, uh, this is consistently happening, these laws need to come to pass, and it may be true. Or these people hate our guns, so they need to take, they're, they're, they're trying to take it away. Maybe true, right? But more than any of that, 
Jesus responds in a different way. When I talked about the Tower of Siloam, he says, do you think because you are more righteous that these things happen to these people? I tell you the truth, unless you repent, your faith is the same as them. Jesus is saying this, more than why or how or what, what's most important is who. Jesus is saying repent because we see that out of all creation, God's goodness comes down to us so that we can point to him. And he's saying repent because we need to go back to him. He's the source of this good. The why, what, how are important but because it points to the who. I know men. This is Napoleon Bonaparte. He says, I know men. And I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Our force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. See, Napoleon Bonaparte figured out this one thing that separates God from man. We can't force anybody to do anything. In fact, would you even work if you didn't get paid? Would you work with that, um, you know, just veracity, with that fervor, passion? I don't know. Because we need to put food on our table. A lot of times that's our motivation to go through the grind, through the mundane. It's because we know we get a paycheck. But you see, people time and time again would give up their lives for Christ. And it's different. Napoleon Bonaparte gets it. Because when Jesus says repent, he's not saying it with the force saying that if you don't repent, then I'm going to push you into hell. He's saying that repent because he wants you to be with him. He wants to pull you to him. I got to say, if you don't believe in Jesus, then isn't this world already a hell? When nothing good is happening, there's common grace, sure. Everybody gets sunlight. Everybody gets rain. There's common grace, that last thing, because of God's goodness. But isn't that frustrating? Isn't it sad that we can see certain things and we know we think we know we think we know the answer and it's just not happening. It's just not happening. But you see, God is pointing us to him and saying, Come to me. He's saying, You think you're better than these people? You think they died because they're a bigger sinner than you? Absolutely untrue. Unless you repent, unless you come to me, this is the fate, this is the world that we live in. Unless you come to me, Evening never turns into day. It just stays evening. And the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus is calling us now. He's saying, this is wisdom that I've given you from the very beginning. But he calls us to himself saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me and you will have warning." It's his kindness that leads us to repentance so that we can be more like him, so that we can finally find an answer that we've always been looking for. There's no other answer. There's no other way. Aren't you tired? Aren't you weary of looking for other ways? But Jesus is here. He's saying, come to me. I am the way. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given us. This word that shows us how, what, why, but more importantly, who. Who you are. This word that shows us that we are not here by chance, but we are here because of you. And you have a great purpose for your creation. You have a great purpose in that we can enjoy the things that you have also created that we can worship you and be fulfilled and find our purpose, that we can really be your children. Thank you, Lord God, for always pointing to you in all that we do, in all that we see. And I pray, God, that you would be with us as we, as a church, seek to become more like you and follow your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's just take a few moments to pray and reflect upon the word that we've been given and ask God to really see how we need to change, how we need to repent, in what ways we need to follow him, in what ways we can give him our lives so that we can be more like him. Let's pray.